William Gargan appeared in more than 50 films in the 1930s. In between, he and Mary's second son, Leslie, was born on June 28, 1933. The Gargans bought the late Gene Harlow's house at 512 North Palm Drive for $27,000. They lived there for the next quarter century. Bill's parents passed away in the middle of the decade. Gargan soon signed a Warner Brothers two-year contract that paid him $100,000, turning down the role of Duke Mantee and Robert Sherwood's The Petrified Forest on Broadway to sign. The role went to friend Humphrey Bogart. For more info on Bogey, tune into Breaking Walls, episode 140. Bill made his Lux Radio Theater debut on March 6, 1939, in an adaptation of One Way Passage. Another drink, Dan. All right, Hardesty, stay right where you are. Huh? Well. Hello, Steve. Keep your hands in the air, Dan. Hey, what's the matter here? It's all right, Mike. You can put the rod away, Steve. After I put you away, hold out your hand. I've got a bracelet for it. Wait a second. I'll roll up my sleeve for you. It's been a long chase, Dan. But a guy can't do what you've done and get away with it. Yeah, so it seems. Come on, slip him on, Dan. Sure. Why, you... Look out, Dan. He's got a rod and he'll use it. I hate to do this, Dan, but you asked for it. <laughs> now, Danny boy, will you come along peaceful-like? Stephen, I guess you win. I always win. <clears throat> you should have known better than to try anything like that on me. Don't try another break, dude. I'll blow you in two. I'd just as leave deliver you in a basket. <clears throat> Not a chance. Just make one false move. Go on. Just one. I'm tame. Now what? The boat. And then San Quentin. Can I get my clothes? They're on the boat. I put them there just before I came to collect you. Consider it. Yeah. I don't think you'll find I've overlooked anything. Baby, you sure stuck to my tail. Sure. You never heard of Steve Burke dogging it, did you? You're a wonder. I thought I ditched you sure back in Paris. Oh, no. When I left Frisco, the chief says to me, Steve, don't come back alone, and he knew I wouldn't. Fine work, Sergeant. Mike, take the man a drink. Never mind that. We're in a hurry. The boat sails in 20 minutes. 20? What boat are we going on? The Maloa. Ready? The Maloa? <laughs> oh. Bye-bye, Mike. See you around. How long do we stay chained together, Steve? Or are these cuffs permanent? You'll get used to them. I ain't taking any chances with you. They broke five of my pals when you escaped. Well, that wasn't right. They did all they could. They were shooting at me for three blocks. Unlucky, that's all. They missed me. Lucky for you I wasn't among them. Thanks. You know, the one thing I don't understand is how a nice guy like you can get yourself in such a jam. You ain't a mug. You're a right guy. And you could have hey, been one of the best... Don't near that rail, please. Huh? What's the matter, sailor? Oh, well, you haven't put the pins in yet, sir. You lean on that rail and you're liable to go clean over. Okay. What are you looking at, Dan? Huh? Oh, I was just looking down. Your long drop, wouldn't it? Yeah. Kind of gives you the shivers. Yeah. Get back a little. We're still chained together and I can't swim. You can't? Well... Look, look down, Steve. Hey, look out. Get away from that rail. Steve. There they are. Down there. Get a life preserver. 
can't swim. Well, you can't, can you? On the level. All right. Keep your chin up, Steve. Grab I haven't, sir. You all right? Me? Sure. You all right, sir? Yeah. McDonald. Okay. Yes, sir. See that these two gentlemen get to their staterooms. Yes, sir. This way, sir. What number is Gargan hated working for Warner Brothers. He likened it to sleeping on a bed of nails. The press labeled him Bill Gargan, King of the B-Movies. He later broke his contract. Perhaps his most famous role was as Joe in the 1940 RKO film, They Knew What They Wanted. Gargan received third billing behind Carol Lombard and Charles Lawton and was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Going down to Napa? Sure. Save us a trip, will you? Thank you, boss. Okay. See, get on the right train. Hey, Tony! Where's you going, Joe? San Francisco. Hey! Joe! Joe! Look at me! Joe! Look at me! <laughs> I'm the most stylish fella I ever see. Sono un signore, ah, vedi la cravatta. Il pantalone, alla mia cappella. Yeah, you're prettier than a picture. <laughs> for the feet. Hey, you better get a mind, you got a train to make. What you talking to go to San Francisco for? Huh? Johnny said, hey, Tony, it's the time you take the vacation. He's taking a vacation. Sure. Johnny, he look after Tony. Who is Johnny? St. Giovanni, his private angel. Oh. They've been pals for so long, he calls him Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, sure. He look down from heaven, he say, Hey, Tony, you got a ranch to grow the grape, and you got a Joe to bust the ranch. You got a Chinese cook, and you got a new truck. What you know got, you know got the vacation. Hey, you better get the shoe on, you won't have a vacation. Hey. Joe? Joe? I don't know. The shoes yet fit. Maybe you got the wrong shoes on the wrong feet. Maybe his feet wasn't meant for shoes. <laughs> oh! Oh, yeah. Ice him up on the train. Look at me, huh? I'm the most stylish fellow I ever seen. Ha! 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 See you in a couple of weeks, Tony. Goodbye, boys! The plot is, while visiting San Francisco, Tony Petucci, played by Lawton, an aging illiterate wine grower from the Napa Valley, sees waitress Amy Peters, played by Lombard, and falls in love. Tony gets his foreman Joe, a womanizer, to write her a letter in Tony's name. Tony's courtship culminates with a proposal. When she requests a picture of him, one of Joe is sent. Amy goes to Napa to be married, only to find that Joe isn't her husband-to-be. I'm kind of a... Are you embarrassed? I sure am. Funny, so am I.
you know, Miss Petucci, getting married is awful serious business, and I got no doubt there's persons thinking we're treating it kind of lightly, but I say no. People fall in love at first sight, don't they? All right, then getting married at first sight. What's wrong with that? Why, why my folks down in the Santa Clara Valley, they knew each other for five years before they got married. You should have observed how they turned out every night, every Oh, excuse me, Mr. Petucci. I thought you was about to say something. Uh, yeah, uh, I was going to... Uh, no. Oh. Well, I was about to remark, Tony. I thought it over real careful, and I don't want you to think I'm the type girl that does things like this all the time. Oh, no. Mildred, that's my most intimate girlfriend. She... Beg pardon? Oh, uh... Nothing. I... I was... Uh, you was just thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, just... Uh, thinking? I admire men to think. Uh, they always got such interesting things to say. Sooner or later... She decides to go through with the marriage... However, while Tony is in bed after an accident, Amy and Joe have an affair. Two months later, Amy discovers she's pregnant. Nice evening. It is indeed. Uh, about the words to let their song... Quite unnecessary to explain. Believe me. What I'm really trying to say, Miss Amy, about this noon, uh, about that mix-up this noon... That too is quite unnecessary to explain. Believe me. Tony's is a friend of mine. You don't have to like me. There's plenty others do. I got no doubt of that. Plenty others. You know what I'm glad I ain't? An insurance company. Tony, Standing there thinking I got a mean character. What are they doing now, Joe? Showing up. Upon learning of the infidelity, 
Tony pummels Joe, but forgives Amy, insisting they still be married. Unable to forgive herself, she leaves with the priest. Meanwhile, Gargan did more radio. He appeared on the January 4th, 1940 episode of The Good News with his former co-star Ann Southern. Good News aired Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time over NBC's Red Network. Its 16.9 rating was 12th overall. Maxwell House Coffee presents Good News of 1940. This is Edward Arnold, and I welcome you on behalf of the makers of Maxwell House Coffee to another hour of entertainment brought to you each week from Hollywood and starring Fanny Bryce, Hanley Stafford, Connie Boswell, and Meredith Wilson in his orchestra. Tonight's guests of honor are Miss Ann Southern and Mr. William Gargan, stars of the new MGM production, Joe and Ethel Turp calls on the president, and our old friend, Raymond Walburn. Well, this is the first program of the new year, and I'm full of resolutions. Number one is, I've made up my mind to take off a few pounds. Gee, you can certainly spare them, Eddie. Who asked you? Uh, pardon. <laughs> Just for that, I'm going to put on a few pounds. I'll need it for my new roll anyway. Well, where are you going to roll, Eddie? Ah, uh, now, now, lout. I'm going to play Diamond Jim Brady. Again? Well, what of it? It's my favorite part because all I do is eat for ten reels. <laughs> Plenty of retakes, too. Now I regret to inform you, ladies and gentlemen, that Meredith has persuaded me to appear during the opening song, Peace Brother... Down you anyway, Meredith. Oh, gee, Ed, you do it swell. Come on, let's get started. Well, all right. It can't sound as bad as anyone else does to me. Well, let's we'll see. It. All right. <laughs> Good News was the first major collaboration of a movie studio and a broadcast system for a commercial sponsor. The idea was, simply put, to dazzle him with glitter. MGM produced. Every star except Garbo was available. There would be songs, stories, comedy, and drama. It promised an intimate glimpse of Hollywood with its hair down. The result cost Maxwell House $25,000 a week. Now, when my working day is through, I don't want to unlax for an hour or two. Who tells me what I got to do? Nobody. And when I sits me down for my evening treat, and a sirloin steak would make my meal complete, who tells me what I can or cannot eat? Nobody. Now, when some question to me is referred, and I feel like getting up and making myself heard, who says, brother, don't you say a word? Nobody. And when the Sunday meeting bells ring out, 
And I want to give that hallelujah shout. Who says I can't put that old devil to rout? Eh? Who told me that, eh? Nobody. Not a soul. Peace, brother. All your sins can be forgiven. Peace, brother. Ain't you glad you're living? Really great. You surprised me. Now, let's forget all about it, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet two of the nicest young people in Hollywood. Stars of the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer production of Damon Runyon's grand story, Joe and Ethel Turp, Call on the President. Here they are, Ann Southern and Bill Gott. Thank you. Ann, you look positively beautiful tonight. More beautiful than ever. Dear me, Edward, how does one curtsy over the air? Make a noise like a bow. Just creak your hips a little, dear. Ah. <laughs> Quiet, Turf. Okay, Twerk. <laughs> no, I really mean it, Anne. Your hair's enchanting. Your eyes are full of sparkle. Your whole being seems to radiate charm and beauty. Say, uh, can you say one good word for my new mustache? <laughs> now, Bill, we came here this evening to talk about more cultural topics. That's right. Joe and Ethel Turp calls on the president at your favorite theater next week. <laughs> Quiet, Gargan. This is no place to advertise. No, dear, don't be crass. Press. Mm, I'm going to look that up. Edward, is it true that you've written your autobiography? Yeah, Gilda Ann. It's entitled Lorenzo Goes to Hollywood. $3 a copy at all bookstores starting January the 10th. Don't be crass, Edward. <laughs> that honey? But honestly, Edward, I can't understand a young man like you writing his autobiography. Yeah, I thought you'd have to die before you'd write one of those things. Well, it is customary, but I decided to break a precedent. Oh. Joe and Ethel Turp call on the precedent. Oh. Oh. <laughs> What's the book about, Edward? Well, it's about 300 pages, and the principal topic is me. Oh. You mean it hasn't any story? Well, my publishers describe it as the story of my success. Gargan, if you say a missed story, I'll scream. <laughs> the girl's a mind reader. Can I get a free copy of the book, Ed? Oh, sure. I'll be glad to autograph one for you, Bill. Uh, if it's not too much trouble, Eddie, I, I, I think I'd like to have two. Why, I'd be delighted. You want to give it to a friend? No, uh, I've got a bridge table with a short leg. Oh. oh, I knew I shouldn't have brought him here tonight. I apologize, Edward. But maybe we can make up for it later in the program. I'm quite sure you will. I'm looking forward to hearing you as Mr. and Mrs. Joe Turp. Poisonally, I think you'll love by Annette. <laughs> Edward, I think you'll be quiet if Connie Boswell sings. I guarantee it. I love to hear that girl rip off a song. Hiya, Connie. Hiya, Billy boy. <laughs> Connie's starting with the Western tonight. Her own interpretation of I'm an Old Cowhand. Sing it, Connie. I'm an old cowhand From the Rio Grande But my legs ain't bold And my cheeks ain't tan I'm a cowboy who never saw a cow Never roped a steer cause I don't know how Connie Boswell was the singer. Here she is talking with Lee Phillip. Well, my philosophy is very uh, simple, I think. Many people listening in do not know it or have forgotten it, but I had polio when I was three years old, and I was paralyzed from the top of my head right down to my toe. I couldn't move anything. They had to feed me through a tube. When I was four years old, Lee, let's face it, that was not exactly last Tuesday. We didn't have all these vaccines and iron lungs, and we didn't have the knowledge 
that they have today. And of course, they're still working on it, but they knew nothing about it when I was a child. So my mother just started in a kind of a logical way. And she started trying to make me crawl all over again to get the strength back. And within about six months after I had polio, the strength in my arms came back a little bit. And as I said, my family are musical. Mother wanted me to study cello, all classical music. And of course, the practicing, you know, and I loved it. I adored it. I think practicing the cello helped bring a lot of strength back into my arms. I believe that that's a good philosophy in itself. People who, well, who even aren't handicapped or don't know that they're handicapped, because in my way of thinking, everyone is handicapped in some way or other. If a fine violinist has to get in a ring with a trained prize fighter, he is definitely handicapped one way or other. But the so-called handicapped people who have had accidents or blind people or can't hear, you just have to work twice as hard or sometimes ten times harder. I know, going by myself, I have had to work so much harder than the average person. When I'd play theaters, the Roxy in uh, New York City, they had big production numbers, and they didn't want you sitting low in a wheelchair. So we got an idea where I would sit on a tall cocktail stool and put the dress around, and I learned to kick my feet out so that when I'd come with two course boys bringing me out all dressed up that I looked like I was walking at the time. And my, my philosophy is that everyone has a certain amount of talent. God gives us all something, and we must seek to find out what that something is and just work as hard as we can to do the best we can with what we've got. And we must be able to face obstacles and try to climb over them. As someone said many, many years ago before all of us, obstacles are only stepping stones to success. Gargan was back on the program the following week in a one-act play opposite Lorene Tuttle. See, I always like to work with the top people. I'm not very good when I work with people who are not very good. <laughs> I'm just not. I like to work with I like to work with people who are vibrant and know their business. I work a thousand times better if I have a challenge. I think it comes from being a Leo, like I am. I just think, you know, because I'm a Leo, I just, I roar that way. I would not like to see radio go to the unworthies, as it might. I'd want to see radio put back in the old-timers' hands. The ones who directed it and the agencies who handled it, I wouldn't want to see radio done in any of the people's hands in the last... 20 years, maybe. I shouldn't say that, because there's some very bright young people that I adore lately. This is Edward Arnold. Again, we continue our Good News Maxwell House show with a delightful one-act play by Paul Raffel. This sketch was presented two years ago on Good News, and ever since then, we've had received so many requests from our listeners who want to hear it that we take real pleasure in presenting it, especially with two such fine performers as we bring with you tonight. Uh, William Gargan and that charming actress, Lorene Tuttle. The curtain music, Meredith. The scene, the attic apartment of Ken Larkin, one of the many unemployed actors in New York. Kay Larkin, Ken's wife, and Miss Jones, their cat, are awaiting Ken's arrival. Hush up, Kitty. You're not hungry. Just had some mackerel an hour ago. Drink your milk. 
Hello, dear. It's that man again. Oh, hello, Ken. What was that noise? Huh? Noise? Yes, kind of thumping noise. As if someone were dragging something along the hall. Why, uh, uh, I don't know, honey. Uh, unless it was my wooden leg. Oh, don't be silly, Ken. What was it? I don't know. I, I didn't see anything. I'm a stranger here myself. Ken, you can be such a... Oh, Ken. Did you? No, honey. Oh. Didn't you even get to see your agent? Oh, sure. I saw him. What did he say? There might be a part for me in a play going into production next month. Next month? Oh, well, something else will break. You're too good an actor to... Are you hungry, Ken? Hungry? Uh... Well, no, not very. Well, you better eat something. You went off this morning without even a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, no, I was in a hurry. Well, I'll fix you something. I know. I'll fix you some cream mackerel. Some what? Some cream mackerel. Oh. What did you say? I said, uh, oh. I know you said, oh. It was the way you said it. The way I said, uh, oh? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Just what did you mean by it? Oh, uh, you know, oh, it's an expression. An expression meaning what? Well, if you must know, it means I dote on cream mackerel, my pet, but... Uh, Go on. But do you think it's right to rob the cat? Well, I'm trying to stretch things out just as long as I can. And if I get things to eat that the cat can eat, too, it's just because I... All right, I... all right. Now, don't, don't get excited. Maybe it's a good idea. In time, we may have to eat the cat. Well, if you think for one minute that I like doing... Oh, Ken, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so nasty all the time, but I... Do. I know, honey. I guess things have gone on for so long they've made us both a little crazy. Well, I'll fix you some coffee. Oh. Oh, uh, another O? Um, what's the matter? I forgot. Forgot what? Ken, they, um... They turned off the gas today. They turned off... Why, the... Oh, well, never mind, honey. We can get our meals on the electric grill for a few days. You don't mind, do you, honey? No, I don't mind. Only, um... Only what? Only they turned off the electricity, too. What? Why, that's an outrage. We're only two months behind. I'll call him up and tell him exactly what oh, I... Oh, no, no, Ken. You, you better not. At least I'll have the satisfaction of... Oh. Yes. They disconnected the phone, too. Mm. Well, this is fine. Supposing somebody called me for a job. Supposing... Oh, never mind, Ken. It'll work out somehow. I wouldn't mind, Kay, if, if only... Oh, but tomorrow's your birthday, and here we are... Me without a job and you... Me exactly where I want to be. Oh, honey, you're, you're sweet. Yes, I know. And winsome, too. Ken, you sit down for a minute. Read the paper or something. I'll, I'll be right back. Hey, wait a minute, Kay. Where are you going? Just down to the delicatessen. Why, Ken, what in the name of heaven are these? Oh, uh, <laughs> I was going to tell you about them in a minute or two. Uh, Ken, darling, uh, what are they? Well, they're, uh, well, uh, they're a surprise. I, uh... I got them for you for your birthday. Um, you got them for me for my... Yeah. Ken, what are they? Um, uh, stilts. <laughs> stilts? Yeah, you, uh, you climb on them and walk around and look down on people. But Ken, what 
Well, I it? said to myself, you never know when Kay might take a notion to go out walking on stilts, I, uh, I said. Um, oh, Ken, you idiot. Tell me this minute what these things are doing out here. All right, all right, but uh, come on in and shut the door before the landlord sees us. Oh, oh, yes. I don't suppose he really would throw us out for a month's rent, though, do you? Well, don't try to change the subject. Did you ever see me put a curse on a landlord, Mrs. Larkin? First, I draw a circle on the floor. Then I leap into the air, revolve three times, constantly frothing at the mouth. After Ken, that, I... stop it. Well, what about the stilts? Oh, yes, the stilts. Well, oh, they can wait. I, I've got something else to tell you. Okay? Tomorrow we celebrate. Celebrate? Yeah, your birthday. With an eight-course dinner. Soup, salad, steak, mashed potatoes, everything. With a cocktail before, mince pie afterwards. Oh, Ken, and the... not really. How? Well, uh... I get the dinner and a dollar for uh, doing a little job for somebody. A job? What kind of a job? Well, it's a, it's a, a kind of a, a, an advertising job. Oh, uh, Ken, I think that's wonderful. Who for? Uh, for uh, Mammy's old Southern Dixie Carolina Plantation dining room. Who? Maxie's Elite Restaurant. Oh, well, Ken, I think that's wonderful. Only, Ken. Yeah. Has your job for Mr. Maxey anything to do with the stilts? Well, uh, in a way, um, uh, yes, it has. Tell me. Well, it's it's a dinner, Kay, and a, and a dollar besides, and it, it won't be so bad. What do you have to do? Well, there's a there's a a kind of a sign that goes with the stilts. It's, a, it's a very smart, really. It's. A, there's a very beautiful and lifelike picture of a roast chicken on one side oh, of it. and uh, Ken. Oh, you just stick your head between two pieces of cardboard and... Uh, oh, Ken. Oh, now, look, oh. honey. Don't take it that way. I wouldn't have told you about it. If... You, a swell actor who's had his name up in lights. Only in Brooklyn, honey. Uh, and the play only lasted two weeks. So, oh. Oh, oh, please don't cry, Kay. I'm not crying because of that. Well, then, then what are you crying for? I'm crying because you're so brave and wonderful. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are, too. You're brave and you're wonderful. Oh, I'm not I Yes, you are. All right, then. I'm brave and I'm wonderful. You want to make something of it? Oh. Oh, darling, you're such a fool. <laughs> Besides that, you're, you're kind of crazy. All actors are crazy, my pet. They'd have to be or they'd go mad. Let me go, Ken. Oh, dear, I must look aside. I'm going to powder my nose and get my hat and coat. Sure, you will. What? Now, wait a minute, Kay. You don't think that you're well, going to... of course to... I am. You don't think I'd let you go alone, do you? Why, you might fall off those things. Oh, I won't fall off. As a kid, I was the champion stilt walker in our neighborhood. Besides, I, uh, I practiced on them this morning in the alley. Well, I'm going with you just the same. Kay, you don't understand. I've, I've got to walk up Broadway on them. Broadway? Yes. Well, don't, don't look like that, Kay. Nobody will know who I am. Mr. Maxey has very kindly provided a costume and mask to go with the stilts. I'm going. There's no use talking. I'm going with you. Okay, don't be a sentimental idiot. It's just a, a job. You're making something else out it's of it. It's not just a job. It's something you're doing because of me. And, and, well, I'm going, and that's all there is to it. Oh, you are? Yes, I am. Well, you're a cussed, pig-headed, perverse, and obstinate female, and... Uh, I love you. Come on. <laughs> oh, look, Mommy. Look at the man. <laughs> Isn't he funny? <laughs> 
Hey, you. Hey, you up there in those things. Move along. Can't you see you're collecting the crowd? You guys give me a pen. Now, move along with you. Go on out of here. Don't mind it, darling. Think of the steak and the mashed potatoes and the mince pie. Look at that guy, will you? Guess you gotta be pretty flat to do that for a living. Hey, didn't I tell you to move on to those things? You're blocking traffic here. Now go on, beat it. Don't Get mind it, Ken. Don't mind them, darling. It'll soon be over. <laughs> Wait a minute, Ken. I'll light the candles. All right. You can close the door now. Well, I guess that was one of the best performances I ever gave, my sweet. Yes, Ken. I always told you I'd be a big hit on Broadway. <laughs> Tired, Kay? Just a little. Are you? No. I feel swell. Kay? Yes? Do you, you mind an awful lot? Mind? Well, it, it it's being your birthday tomorrow and us not having a... a... Kay, I got you a little present. I was going to wait to give it oh, to you, but... Oh, Ken, you shouldn't have. What? Oh, Ken, it's the doorbell. It couldn't be a bill collector at this hour. It might be. Wait a minute. Oh. Yes? Who's there? Is this Ken Larkin's apartment? Huh? Mr. Larkin, uh, he's not here. What? Well, uh, where is he? Um, I don't know where Mr. Larkin is. I, uh, I think maybe he's dead. Dead? Anyway, he's a move away from here. If, if you want to collect the bill, I I'm think... I'm not uh... collecting any bills. I've got a job for Ken Larkin. If he's not here, where can I find a him? Job? A job! Why? It's, it's Mr. Arlen. Oh, come in. Come in, Mr. Arlen. Yes. Yes, come in, Mr. Arlen. Oh, okay, this is uh, uh, Mr. Arlen. Oh. Oh, is it? Yes, it's it's Mr. Allen. Well. <laughs> Mr. Allen produced that play I was in in, in Brooklyn last oh. year. Oh, did he? Yes. Well, do come in, Mr. Allen. Yes. Uh, sit down, Mr. Allen. Oh, uh, don't mind the candles. You see, uh, tomorrow's my birthday. Your birthday? Yes. yes. You see, it's just a funny old custom of Ken's and mine. The night before my birthday, we, we burn candles. <laughs> nothing but candles the night before my birthday. Yes, yes, uh, nothing but candles. <laughs> I see. Uh, won't you uh, won't you have a cigar, Mr. Allen? Or, uh, I mean, a, a cigarette? Or, uh, um, I guess we're uh, kind of out of cigarettes. Uh, 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 this is, uh, this is my wife, Kay, Mr. Allen. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, and, uh, this, uh, this is our, uh, cat, Miss Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think it's so nice you dropped in, Mr. Allen. I, I think it's, uh, so nice. Yes, so nice. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I can't stay a minute. I just took a chance on finding you on my way home, Larkin. I've been trying to get you on the phone all day. Oh, I've been, uh, trying to... Get me on the, on the phone? Yes, your phone must be out of order or something. Oh, you don't say. Well, uh, we'll have to complain to the uh, company about that. Yes. <laughs> well, I've got a part for you, Larkin. You, you uh, I, uh, I, uh, a part. Oh, a part! Oh, you mean in a, in a play? Yes, we're going into rehearsal next week. Well, well, of course. Uh, you always were my favorite producer, Mr. Allen, and, uh, if you think I'm right for the part... Well, why, it's a funny thing. I'd uh, almost forgotten about you since that play you did for me last year. But the minute I saw this fellow, I thought of you. And right away, I knew you were perfect for the part. You, uh, you saw this, this fellow? Yeah, yeah, a fellow on stilts. Advertising some restaurant or other. I saw him walking down Broadway. 
For some reason or other, he made me think of you. He, uh, he did. Yes. Yeah. You see, I've got to have a tall juvenile for this play, and something about this fellow on stilts made me think of you. And right away, I knew you... Oh, but I said that before, didn't I? Yes, yes, you did. Well, uh, I've got to be running along. Yeah. I'll see you at my office tomorrow. Oh, uh... Yes, Mr. Allen? Yes, Mr. Allen. A happy birthday to you. Bravo, Bill Gargan and Lorene Tuttle. And now my favorite songstress, Connie Boswell. Bill was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Oscar, won by good friend Walter Brennan for The Westerner. Bill later joked that Brennan spent 90 minutes spitting and Gargan lost to a spittoon. The joking was short-lived. Taken out of the NBC newsroom. Good afternoon, everybody. This is H.V. Kaltenborn speaking to you from the NBC newsroom. Here is what has happened. President Roosevelt phoned Secretary Early half an hour ago that the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor, the United States naval base on Oahu Island in the Hawaiian Islands. A few minutes later, he again phoned Mr. Early and told him that planes had attacked Manila. This means that war is underway between Japan and the United States. President Roosevelt's announcement of Japanese air attacks on United States Pacific bases... Gargan would soon begin work on another film with the appropriate title, I Wake Up Screaming. And London now awaits Prime Minister Churchill's promise to declare war on Japan within the hour. This has come to you.